This is message number five on the 23rd Psalm. And uh, how many of you enjoyed Andy last week? On the, uh, yeah, if you didn't catch that, go to queencity.church. And under messages, you can find uh, Andy's contribution last week. So let's say, let's, speak, let's say this together. Don't stand up unless you want to. The Lord is, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's read verse 6 again. That's what we're talking about today. What's the first word? Surely, David was sure. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I thought about Romans 2.4 also this morning. Uh, about, it says the goodness of God leads us to repentance. And so he's leading us and following us. Because the scripture says, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You are being pursued. A friend of mine used to say when I met him, he preached for 80 years. He would have this real ominous look on his face and he would say, brother, they're after me. And I would think, oh God, what trouble has he gotten into now? And I would say, who? And he would say, goodness and mercy. Now the wonderful thing about Psalm 23 is when David wrote it, almost none of it was true in his experience. He wrote this after Absalom's revolt. David was heartbroken, fleeing for his life. It actually has a description of him going up uh, going up or down, I'm not sure what direction it is, but he was leaving Jerusalem. He was, let's say, going up the Mount of Olives, weeping over the revolt his son Absalom had initiated as he stole the hearts of the people and took the kingdom from David and sought to kill him. That's the context of the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's amazing. And what it tells us is you have to proclaim the promises of God in the midst of your difficulties and circumstances. You have to let, you have to let the Bible, revelation from the scripture through your proclamation and viewpoint, determine your situation. You should translate life through the Bible, not Bible, not your experience. A lot of people say the Bible's not true. Well, it, it is true, but you have to prove it in your experience. It's, it's what the life of faith is all about, and that's exactly what we see David doing. Absalom, in his experience, was who was pursuing him. But by revelation, by his knowledge of God, and by the song he wrote, because that is a song, this is the song he sang. Absalom, in his mind, pursued him. 
But David proclaimed by song, surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. And I liked what um, one of the old ancient, not ancient, but 19th century commentators wrote. He said, foes are pursuing him, but prosperity and favor alone shall pursue him and drive his present pursuers out of the field. And so people, um, talking to a guy last week, and he was saying, well, you know, I had a lot of questions when I went to church, and you have to take it all by faith, as though faith weren't important or necessary. Um, But faith is hugely important, because what you proclaim is directly connected to what you truly, truly believe. And there really are ways to overcome in life through revelation of the scripture and your proclamation. You see, the things you set your eyes on, the things you set your heart on, what you meditate on, enables you to make certain kinds of decisions and choices. And if you let what you see in your life, which can be depressing or defeating, dictate to you how you feel and what kind of attitudes you develop, what kind of choices you make, you're making a serious mistake. You need to know the goodness of God in the face of whatever you're going through. And you need to use the knowledge of God as a weapon to proclaim and speak even in the midst of those things that contradict what we see the Bible promises us. It, it, it really is important. Now... David used that word surely. It's an emphatic affirmative. David had an assurance that no matter what kind of mess he was in, God was in it with him and loved him. Let me say that again. David had an assurance that no matter what kind of mess he was in, and some of them were of his own making, he was assured that God was in it with him. The very simple words of Jesus, uh, I will never, what, leave you nor forsake you. Leave nor forsake. You do the wrong thing, what does Jesus say? You shouldn't have done that, but here I am, let's work it out. Now he's not, God is not like a man. He's, he's, his love is unique. We would call it alien. That's a, that's a great definition of the love of God. It's alien. It's from another place. It's not natural. It's not human. It doesn't come from the earthly origins and perspectives. God sets his love on you. You don't change to get his love. When you see his love, you change. You don't change to get his love. When you see his love, you change. And you have to mess up sometimes to discover how much he loves you anyway. I don't recommend it, but whatever it takes. The expression for goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Kylan Delich, pair of commentators, it's remarkable, that phrase. It's without example anywhere else. They say this, as good spirits, Jehovah sends goodness and mercy to overtake David's enemies and protect him against them to their shame and that all his life long. 
So if goodness and mercy are following you and you have enemies too, they're at least between you and them. Really, it's even closer than that. Goodness and mercy dwells in your life, in your heart, by the power of the Spirit, if you're a believer. Now, here's what I want to look at. What kind of man would write, surely, goodness and mercy will follow me? What kind of man was David? Well, he grew up in a dysfunctional family. When Samuel went to the house of Jesse, Jesse was David's father, to anoint the next king of Israel, David's father asked six of the seven brothers to come to the feast, but didn't ask David the youngest. That's a pretty dysfunctional family. You weren't even invited to something you were invited to because your dad didn't tell you about it. That's really dysfunctional. The only problem was he was the one Samuel was looking for. And that's tremendous. You might be hidden away. You might be the last person anybody else is looking for. But that may actually qualify you to be the first person God's looking for. And you may not look like much now, even when he finds you. But he can do a lot with little. He really can. He delights to do that. Well, he's despised by his six brothers. Grow up in a household of seven, all of them boys. And you're the smallest, and none of them like you. Welcome to the life of David. The only problem was he killed Goliath and became a national hero as a young teenager. So he had success without character. He marries the king's daughter. That is a wild story. Some of that story I could scarcely repeat in mixed company. But go investigate the price David paid for Marrying Michal, the daughter of Saul, it'll scare you. At one point in his life, he acted like a madman. He feigned lunacy. What if I had done that in my life and you came to this church and you found out about it? You would wonder about me. Ultimately, he was anointed king over all Israel and Judah. He commits adultery with Bathsheba and has her husband Uriah killed to conceal his immorality. He doesn't get along very well with his children. He was not a good father. There was incest in his family. And his oldest son stole the kingdom. Broke David's heart. That's the kind of man who knew the Lord well enough who could say, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will what? I might get to heaven when I die. No, he said, I'll live in the house of the Lord forever. Now, one thing happened. I believe David repented. It's not okay to be a sinner and covered up. He got in trouble for that. It's not okay to commit sin. How would you like all your sin to be on the front page of the newspaper? That was sort of David's life. But one thing happens when you repent, when you take responsibility for your actions and turn from them and be honest about them, God no longer remembers them. And so by the time you get to the New Testament and you discover what God says about David, you have to, you have to scratch your head. Acts 13, 22 and 23 says, And when he, God, had removed him... I'm not going to explain all this. I'm just going to get to the part I'm looking for. 
he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. God says nothing about all that stuff David did. He says this, he was a man after my own heart. He was going to do everything I expected him to do or told him to do. God will rewrite your past. People won't, but God will. When you repent, when you turn from those things, that life, whatever it is, God rewrites your past. When he gives an up-to-date record of you, none of that shows up. It's sort of fading in and out here. It's okay, though. Revelation twenty two sixteen, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David. Jesus himself said, I was David's root. I'm David's offspring. And when you see what kind of man David was, what you really see is the love of God and what the love of God can do in a person's life. See, last week Andy talked about um, the treasure hidden in a field. Oh, you're the treasure. You know, you really are made out of dirt. Did you realize you're made out of dirt? You were a literal field, an animated field. Out of the dust of the earth, God spoke into you. You're basically an animated field. You are a field that can walk and talk and make bad choices. You are the treasure. Who you are inside is the treasure hidden in a field. And a man discovered it and hid it. See, so many treasures in you are hidden yet. And until you understand who bought you and how he feels about you, that treasure remains hidden. But when you discover who you are and what he's done for you, it transforms your temperament, your personality, your outlook, your life, and you begin to grow into who you already are that you don't even know about. That's what the love of God does. For joy, he sells all he has, buys the field. He didn't do it begrudgingly. How much are you worth? You're worth the life of Jesus. It's what he paid for you. Read Ephesians 3.27. I'm sorry, 3.17 through 21. Paul has these long sentences. I'm going to jump right in the middle of one of his thoughts. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Literally, that means that Christ may become... Um, comfortable... Living in you. So what it's, talking, it's more about how he feels in you than whether or not you believe he's in there. So it's an interesting idea. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded. Say that with me. Rooted and grounded. What does a root do? The root pulls the life out of the earth. What is it to be grounded? Is to have a foundation. If, if you are not rooted in the love of God, and if that's not your foundation, you won't be able to comprehend everything God is and all He wants to be for you. And that's the key to being filled with all the fullness of God. And I'm going to close here. 1 John 3, 2, 
the first word is beloved. And beloved is... It's a, it's a nominative, it's a noun, but it's also a job description. That's your job description, is to be loved. And it comes up over and over, beloved. And it's not some goofball religious notion, it's a reality. You are beloved. John the Apostle called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He wrote it four or five times in his own gospel, it appears nowhere else because to Peter, John was not the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was a young guy that wouldn't get out of the way. But John knew himself to be that. John cultivated the knowledge of the love of God and it transformed his life. That's your job description is to be loved. You are loved, you, you, but you don't always dwell in that place. Cultivate that place. So... It's 10.30. My message is officially over. I'm 11.30, I mean. Andy went a minute over. I'm not. So let's pray. Oh, here he comes. So he's going to tip me over. Really good. There you go. Right. Oh, All right, let me pray and then we'll leave. Father, we th- or, or we'll, we'll hang out in fellowship, right? Oh, and ministry folks, ministry teams, we got ministry teams available for anybody that would like to uh, receive prayer after the service. So ministry teams can come forward. Father, we thank you for this wonderful day. Uh, Lord, I, I thank you that we can find you even in an abbreviated service, Father. We thank you for uh, your presence and your, your prosperity that is manifesting in our lives, in every aspect of our lives. We bless you today, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right.